We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGood.com. I've been on the run of a lifetime this fall swing. We just recently hit EBR 80 to 1 at the Worldwide Technologies Championship. Third outright of the fall swing. That's not including an 11-unit Ryder Cup week where we hit multiple bets over 9 to 1. My entire process for betting is based on the work that I do for rickrungood.com. There's a 3,000-plus word course breakdown that I write every single Monday. That is where you can find exactly how I break down the golf course, how I model it out, how my model informs the picks that I make, what you should be looking for, weather. Uh, and then if you're a DraftKings player, you get my entire breakdown of the DraftKings slate on Wednesday as well, not to mention model generator. So you can use my numbers, create your own model, lineup builder, and the largest golf betting statistical database on the internet. You can get all of this for $7 a week, and it's even cheaper if you sign up for a month or a year. Uh, but there has been so much money to be made this full swing. I'm up over 31 units already. If your unit is a hundred dollars, uh, you can do the math there. Even if your unit is twenty dollars, you're up thousands of dollars following my place as fall swing. So you've got one more chance this week for the RSM classic. So head on over to rickrungoods.com. My Monday course preview is already live on there. My Wednesday final DraftKings thoughts uh will be out around 1 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday morning. Go to the sign-up page, type in code Andy so they know that I sent you, even if you want to do it for a week. The level of information that you will be getting, I pour my heart and soul into the written work that I do there. You are getting upwards of five, 6,000 words on every PGA Tour tournament. Uh, I cannot think of a better deal in terms of what you are paying for the amount of information that you are getting. Plus, even when there's not a golf tournament, uh, you're going to get a bunch of deep dives into betting and DraftKings strategy this December, even on weeks like where no golf is being played. I'm still producing content for the site, uh, and that is the only place to reach me for questions uh, as it pertains to betting and DraftKings. It's in that Slack channel. So head on over to rickrengood.com, promo code Andy, and we would love to have you as part of that community. For all of my football content, 
Ship It Nation is the place to go. My NFL picks this season, even in a very disappointing losing week last week, uh, I'm back for vengeance this week. I still think I was on the right side of Seahawks and Jets and uh, the 49ers with sweat threes. Thankfully, we're still over 57% in the NFL this year. It has been a wild run in the NFL over the last three years. I've already fired on multiple bets this week. Those are all already posted in the Discord. And yes, those lines are going to move. They always do. Uh, the way to beat the NFL is knowing when to bet. And that's why Ship It Nation has given me this platform to post all of my bets when I make them uh, for, you know, serious NFL bettors uh, that are serious about following and making money on the NFL. Not to mention how much Tambo and Hoop and all the Ship It Nation members have been killing it on the DraftKings side of things as well. So shipitnation.com promo code Andy to take an extra 10% off. Uh, join in now. A couple of lines actually today that I would recommend moving on pretty quickly. All right, coming up on this podcast, uh, this is a good one. I'm bringing on my good friend Joseph Almania of the Fried Egg Optimal Approach Golf, Finding the Edge Substack frequent guest on this podcast. Uh, he comes on a lot uh, and we are going to do a full and complete deep dive of the TGL. What is the TGL? Will it work? Who is it for? What do we make of the teams? What do we make of the format? What do we make of the technology? How would we define this thing as a success? We dive into all of that in this episode. So if you are confused about the TGL, if you're struggling to formulate an opinion on it, this episode's for you. I don't know if it will bring you more clarity on what you think of TGL or potentially end up raising more questions for you, but we cover every single aspect of it. This is one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast all year. So without further ado, let's bring on Joseph. All right, Joseph Lamagna is here. Uh, fried Egg, Finding the Edge Substack, Optimal Approach Golf, frequent guest on this podcast. We're going to talk about TGL today, an incredibly rich text already. Uh, so I guess we'll start here. Patrick Cantlay signs on the dotted line with Atlanta Drive this morning. I know you mentioned that you're still figuring out where to plant your flag. Does this put you over the edge as an Atlanta Drive supporter? It's tough to say, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me. The last time I fell in love with the team, they disappeared. I was a Niblix guy, and <laughs> next thing you know, they're not—they don't exist anymore. So I don't know if I should get too attached. I'm not sure if I'm ready to have my heart broken again. So we're gonna start. We're gonna zoom out and break down everything you need to know about TGL in this podcast. I started us with the teams because I have a lot of opinions on that, and and we're gonna we're gonna dive pretty deep into that, the, the marketing aspect of it, where we think it's going. I probably have the most thoughts on that topic, but we're going to talk about the format too. We're going to talk about the technology piece of this. And then we're going to put a bow on it by answering the final question of whether or not we think this will be a success and what we would even define a success looking like for a venture like this. But let's start with the nuts and bolts of the TGL for those that aren't already aware of it. Um, so the TGL stands for the Tomorrow Golf League. Did you know that? Because for the longest time, I had no idea that. I thought it standed for potentially the Golf League, uh, but I, I recently learned that it stands for Tomorrow 
Golf League, which of course, Tomorrow Sports is a venture brought to you by the minds of Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy uh, and Mike McCarley, CEO of Tomorrow Sports, who uh, formerly CEO of the Golf Channel. Yeah, I I did know it was Tomorrow Golf League, but what's confusing is even like the there was a Wired article that came out last week. Yeah, that outlined it was basically the most detail we've received so far about the league and some of the technologies and, and uh-huh. what's going into the behind the scenes. They said it doesn't stand for anything; that it's just <laughs> three letters for TV. So I guess mixed messaging that they need to get figured out. But I I thought it was Tomorrow Golf League. We'll get into the Wired article too. I thought that was excellent. I have a couple of notes on that as well when we talk about some of the technology. But this is a simulator golf league that is going to launch on Tuesday, January 9th. So this is coming pretty soon. Uh, we're recording this, by the way, on November 13th. Um, so it's about two months' time from now. There are going to be 15 regular season matches in the inaugural TGL season, followed by the semifinals and finals. There are six teams. The Atlanta Drive, the aforementioned Atlanta Drive, TGL New York, fronted by Steve Cohen, uh, hedge fund billionaire and Mets owner, Los Angeles Golf Club, TGL San Francisco, um, fronted by a number of investors, including Stephen Curry. I think Los Angeles Golf Club is kind of the Alexis Ohanian, uh, Serena Williams um, are kind of the main investors in that. Boston Common, which is... Uh, backed by Fenway Sports Group, Jupiter Links Golf Club, led by Tiger Woods. So the only full teams that we have announced are Boston Common, which is Rory McIlroy, Tyrrell Hatton, Keegan Bradley, Adam Scott. And just this morning, we got the full team for Atlanta Drive, which is Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantlay, Lucas Glover, Billy Horschel. We know that Colin Morikawa is on the Los Angeles team, and we know that Tiger Woods is on the Jupiter team. We don't know anyone on TGL New York or TGL San Francisco. But we know the players that have signed up for this, with the exception of one player. We don't know who will be taking John Rahm's place. We can potentially, Blocky. yeah, we could, <laughs> we can potentially make some predictions on that later uh, in the podcast and go over the other players or who would potentially be more of a cultural fit for TGL New York or TGL San Francisco. But these matches are going to be aired on ESPN, Joseph. They are starting on Tuesday nights through January. When the and then when the NFL season ends, I believe they're going to move to Monday night and attempt to fill fill that void of Monday night football after the conclusion of the NFL regular season. Before we talk about the players, the format, the technology, what has been your impression on the decision to attach these teams to major U.S. markets? Kind of the opposite of what Lev did, right? And how this thing has been rolled out. Uh, because I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm almost um, more curious because I know you're you're a big NFL and NBA guy as well. So I'm almost more curious about your opinion on the regional aspect of this that they're attempting and how this has all been rolled out. Yeah, I'd say of all podcast appearances I've done, this is the one I'm most uh, malleable on. And, and you may change my mind on a lot of stuff. I don't know how much some of that matters to be a hundred percent honest with you. Like the, if they had done non-regional teams versus regional teams, I don't know what difference it makes. I saw you had a tweet about this. Like, I think I'd have to go back and read your tweet, but it was something to the effect of you might as well tie it right. to a city. Like there's no harm and it could start to 
maybe foster some feelings from that city. I don't know. I don't. I'm really skeptical about the the regional part of this working. Okay. Also, don't, just don't know how much that matters. But maybe there are long term plans to build these simulators in other cities, and then you're starting to like have a Boston headquarters where the Boston team hosts their matches versus always doing this in Florida. I think probably part of the reason they're only doing this in Florida is for tax purposes would be my guess. So I don't know what the long-term plan is, but I have a lot of takeaways from TGL reasons. I think it could be successful or unsuccessful and the regionality of the teams really isn't one of them. I don't know that it makes it. I could be swayed on this, but I don't know if it's that big of a deal. What do you think? I'll try and sway you a little bit. I think that, I think that attaching these teams to major U.S. markets, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if I'm really to plant my flag in that arena, but I do believe that this was a far better option than finding a Clipart logo and calling your team the big hitters. Here's the thing. TGL has the playbook from Liv on a lot of aspects of what does and doesn't work for team golf already. And I think they saw what Liv did creating these arbitrary teams called the cliques and the crushers. And it generated no fan interest. And so they probably said to themselves, that's not an option. Like we can't just call our team the big hitters and expect people to care. Why don't we try and hope that if we attach these teams to a major US market, then maybe people in the market will at least know of our existence, which we've learned is a a very crucial first step to executing a new breakout re- league right is is people knowing that you exist and i will say like i'm going to be very critical of tgl as we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode attaching these teams to major markets i actually think is one of the better things that they've done in my opinion that doesn't mean that they've made a bunch of decisions that i don't remotely agree with as well like same thing with live i thought 90% of the things that live did were completely nonsensical but I was one of the only people that came out immediately and said, hey, I think Liv's decision to go to Donald Trump courses is smart. Um, I like You may dislike Donald Trump. I know I certainly do. But what's one thing that you can't argue about Trump? He's a top three famous person slash brand in the country, and he has an, an emboldened cult-like following. So if you attach yourself to that brand, is there a higher chance that you're going to get Donald Trump supporters who do not remotely care about golf invested in your product? Yes. And we have seen that play out. Just look at some of the bios of the people you see on Twitter defending love every day. So I have no problem with the regional ties. The most important first step in creating one of these leagues is you need to find a way for people to acknowledge your existence. They could hate you. They could not understand you, but they need to know you exist. And I got like three texts from Boston friends that said, what's Boston common? This is weird. So I'm not saying that people from Boston are going to embrace the frog uh, in the same way that they embrace the Celtics or the Patriots. Maybe they completely reject it. But again, I think that is a, a far better outcome than the alternative, which is complete ambivalence. I don't disagree with you. When Liv started, I thought they were really going to go the route of regionality and have like Mm -hmm. a Latin American team have maybe a Spanish team, like try to build around countries. And I thought that would work. I thought it was a good idea. I don't see any downside necessarily to the way TGL is doing this, but it Mm -hmm. needs to be called out. It's ridiculous that the Boston common golf team is Rory McIlroy, Tyrrell Hatton, Adam Scott, 
And then Keegan Bradley, who legitimately has a tie to the Boston area, but none of the other guys, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I'm kind of with you, but I think your three friends that texted you about Boston common golf, I'm very skeptical that they're going to feel any level of attachment to that team, at least in the short run. Maybe the plan is to add more Northeasterners to Boston common golf. I don't think this is a bad idea, but I, I don't really see that regional tie engendering any kind of like local feeling of, uh, you know, having a being a fan of a particular city's team. I, I'm skeptical of that. Can I give you my pushback to that? What's Jason Tatum's tie to Boston? Like he's from St. Louis. What's Tom? He Brady's plays in tie Boston. Boston. I know, but that- <laughs> that's his tie to Boston. He lives there and plays there. That's his tie to Boston. I I I agree with you. The fact that this is all happening in Palm Beach, right, uh, is is pro- is probably one of the more confusing aspects of it all. Like um, Jason Tatum pays taxes there. He knows the restaurants there. Like he actually lives there that that would be a, i would disagree like that would be my counterpoint to you of what the difference is but i think the problem with that is okay so do you think this makes a real difference in terms of engaging people from that city if it's happening in the city because then you actually get to say okay now there's not this aspect of we're rooting for this boston team but we're also actually getting to go and attend these matches uh, because I was reading that Wired article and like this SoFi $50 million arena or whatever it is, they're going to be able to host a lot of people. But the only people that are going to get to go to these matches are the people that live in Palm Beach County. I mean, I guess unless you want to travel to Florida, but it's just all going to be the same people going to every match. No, I don't think the fan part makes a huge difference. But what if, what if there was a simulator in Boston and they when they played those matches because they're what 15 holes uh-huh. it was 15 holes of the coolest holes in the boston area or you have like yeah you yeah, really yeah. leaned yeah, into the boston part or you had holes that have like landmarks in boston it has a new england feel to it when you're playing those courses and maybe that's how you build the identity and it's taking place in boston and maybe the weather that they infuse into the simulator is the weather outside in boston that night like maybe you can make it feel a little bit like boston the way it is now, it's just called Boston Common Golf and they're going to go play in Palm Beach. Like, There's really nothing about it that screams Boston, especially when three of the guys are not from the United States. Like, They have no... None of them have a tie to Boston. I think there's a pretty fairly big Irish contingent. Like, When you think Boston, you think... I see what they were going for. I mean, I think... Here, I'll, I'll say it this way. The other alternative is, because it's clear that they're building this giant arena and they're spending a ton of money on the tech side of it. And they're spending a ton of money on the arena side of it, which we can litigate the decision of doing that versus potentially making a bunch of different uh, arenas. But if you're going to, the problem is, is that all of these golfers, like you have the option to either attach them to regional markets, big major U S markets, or the other option is, you know, make your team Sea Island versus Scottsdale, right? Like that's that's the only pushback I would have is like, okay, would you rather attempt at least take a flyer on sports or cities that have like a giant emboldened sports fan base, or would you rather have the teams make more sense and have a Scottsdale team, a Sea Island team? I guess they're doing a Jupiter team, a Dallas team, things like that. So I would the only push. I agree. It's it's very odd that they're not 
having it in these cities. Maybe that's what the future looks like down the road. But I, I guess the other option for it to make more sense in terms of what players are on the teams would be to maybe create these golfing communities or, and this could be a transition to the next thing I want to talk about, have a fucking draft. A draft would be sweet. No, I, I'm probably coming across more negatively on the regional aspect. I think it's a good idea. Like, it's fine. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if the if it could have been implemented better. But like, yeah, the just the connections between the players and their cities are tenuous. You could have put Matt Fitzpatrick on the Boston team because he won at Brookline. Like, good point. I, I, well, but I don't even think that's a good idea. He's from England. Like, I, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't think the, this league make or break is going to come down to the city part, at least initially. Maybe long term, it'll be a really good idea. Maybe they'll be sponsoring. Maybe Boston Common Golf will have partnerships with the Celtics and with the Red Sox. And that's how they build awareness in the area. Like, the, It might work out. I, I'm, I guess it's better than the alternative. So I think it's a smart idea, but I'm just not super. I don't, I don't feel super strongly about it. I think the draft is a massive missed opportunity because that's the other thing where, you know, I, I commended them for going regional teams based on the fact that they have some of the playbook for a live in terms of what works and what doesn't work for team golf, mostly what doesn't work. There were so many missed opportunities and mistakes shown to us by live in terms of the total arbitrary nature of how teams were constructive and player movement. There was no rhyme or reason to any of it. And TGL is just like, hold my beer. Like TGL has the opportunity to sit here and say, okay, what was a major criticism of Liv? Nobody understood how these teams were built. They missed out on a really fun opportunity for a draft. Player movement felt completely erratic and nonsensical. And TGL does the same thing. No draft, no rationale for how these teams got picked to what team. Can you imagine if the NBA... Or the NFL tomorrow was like, okay, here's what we're going to do moving forward. There's not going to be a draft. There's not going to be free agency. But a month before the season starts, we're just going to tell you what the team ours are. This year, here's who the Lakers have. Here's who the Bills have. Here's who the Knicks have. We'll see how it goes. And next year, we'll just tell you a month before the season what the teams are next year. Like, Think about how much content is created out of the NFL draft, free agency, player movement, trade machine ideas, contracts. Is this guy overpaid? Is the team tanking to get a high draft pick? Fans being able to understand how teams are constructed and how that motivates what the trajectory their franchise is moving in and the direction their team is moving in. Um, that is like one of the most crucial aspects of sports in my opinion. And Liv said, nah, we're good on that aspect of sports. And they took criticism for it. And and TGL followed suit. I, I, it's completely nonsensical to me. Uh, I agree. Agree and disagree. The part I agree with is that it feels like that could have been a really cool part of the launch and yes. doing some kind of draft could have been cool. Agree with that. I do think if you're trying to build some kind of regionality and some affinity for your team like having max homa and xander shoffley play for the la team makes sense like they're from that area especially if they end up hosting events there and you're trying to build an la fan base like i think it actually makes sense to mm -hmm. place them on the la team and to not do a draft like that where they could end up on any random team i guess though ultimately where i land and, and i'm putting the cart before the horse because we'll get into some of the other parts of tgl 
I'm not thinking about it as a sports league like that, where it really even matters that much wh- who which players are on which team. Like to me, this is a technology product and a and, TV show, right? I mean, and a TV show, yeah. And people are going to figure out which teams. I don't even know if they're going to think about Boston as the Boston common team, or if they're just going to think about that as Rory's team. And when does that play Tiger's team? That's mm-hmm. probably the way this is going to go. So I don't, I actually don't think these rosters matter that much. And I could be wrong about that. I could be easily persuaded the other way, but yeah, it's probably a missed opportunity at the same time. I think you want to get these golfers as regionally aligned as possible, even though some of them don't make any sense like a Tyrrell Hatton, but uh, yeah, no, no strong thought there, but I agree with you. Some kind of drafts could have been fun, but I think this is going to be fine. Well, if you think about it, you may have a point because I feel like in terms of what the generation, maybe a little bit younger than us is trending towards the TikTok generation per se is way more fans of players than fans of teams. Like if you think about how people that are 17, 16, 15 years old consume the NBA, they don't watch basketball games. They go on TikTok and watch top five dunks of Thursday night. That is how they consume the NBA. And that is they become fans of players and players are brands. And that is what they follow. Kids do not have any ties to the Pelicans, but they have ties to Zion Williamson, right? So I think maybe that would be the counterpoint to the, hey, none of this really matters. It's just all about, are people going to show up to watch Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy play golf? And that's like the ace in the hole. Like that's the conversation that we have to have as well is like, how much does Tiger buoy this thing? Like how much does nothing matter because Tiger's involved? Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the ace in the hole of all of this, right? Yeah. The more we're talking about it and thinking out loud, I don't think a lot of this matters besides there's eight teams, right? You got to have eight stars probably. Mm-hmm. And as lo- if you start to think about them as that team, like are people going to show up to watch Justin Thomas's team? Is he a big enough star to carry, to, to bring people in for that match? Because you, you didn't mention this off the top, but there's it's 15 weeks, but not every team's playing every week. Right. It's just two teams playing each competition. So when Tiger's not playing and Rory's not playing, how do you get people to to tune in for those two-hour matches that just involve some of the other stars? I, I think it is correct, and I, I like your point on the TikTok generation because that's really who I think this is targeting. You, you have to star build and start to identify teams with their star. I, I really don't think the regionality, at least initially, is a huge deal here. And I'm not even sure players two to four matter that much on these teams. I think it's kind of the superstar, and that's what people are tuning in for. This kind of what you just said, this may lead us down a different direction, but it kind of had me thinking, why do you think Hovland, and Scheffler and Spieth aren't doing this? Is that a red flag to you or is it just a scheduling? Like I, I didn't really agree with the reading super deeply into the ROM pulling out of this at the last minute, but does it feel a little bit, because you want to talk about a natural fit. How about a Dallas team? of Scheffler, Spieth, Tom Kim, and Zalatoris. Like that feels like a majorly missed opportunity. Totally, totally. I I think I'm not reading too much into this because if I've learned anything the last couple of years, you don't really know a whole lot of what's going on until it happens. So I'm not 100% sure what to read into it. 
I could see some golfers just not wanting the time commitment and flying to Florida and playing these on Tuesday nights. Doesn't fit into their schedule. They have little kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't fit with their practice routine. They may just not believe in it. They may think it's a bad idea and it's not going to work and the whole thing's going to fold, which is possible. Or they might realize we're big stars. We can join year two and there's going to be a check waiting for us. And if if a Dallas team's a good idea, it's going to be there for us year two and we'll start our franchise in year two. So I'm not reading too much into it, but I wish that some of those players were participating for sure. That makes sense. Like sit this one out see how it goes. And if you're Scheffler or speed, because you have to imagine the plan can't be to only have right now, 67% of the teams make the playoffs, uh, which is kind of, how's that? Isn't it four of eight? It's four of six. There's six teams. Oh, okay. Okay. It's 24 guys. I was thinking it was 32. Yeah. You're right. Well, you're right. well hang on before we, uh, before we move on to some of the tack and format and TV stuff, do you have any uh, predictions for Rom's replacement? I was thinking about this this morning. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, I do not. I jokingly... I jokingly said Michael Block, and I and I actually think that would be a, if they're just going for viewership, it'd probably be the smart person to plug in there. It's not going to be him, I have heard. And <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't have any predictions. I think they should go for the most marketable player possible, and maybe get creative. It doesn't have to be a PGA Tour player, right? It's not going to be a live player, but it could be a retired player. Like it could be Ernie Els. Like I, I don't think that's who it would be, but they should get creative and who would get people to tune in. I don't I don't know who it will be. Um, Do you? Can I have a thought? I have a couple of thoughts. Can I give you the top ten players in the OWGR that aren't already signed to TGL and aren't on Lev? Because of course it's not going to be any of the Lev guys. And you can tell me who you think if any of these candidates work for you. So Scheffler, Hovland, Spieth. We'll kind of cross those guys out because it seems like if they were going to do this, they would have already been announced. Brian Harmon, Sam Burns. Tony Finau. Finau is an odd one to me because I feel like this would be right up Finau's alley. Jason Day, Sepp Straka, Russell Henley, Sung J.M. I'll tell you who I think it should be if I were in charge and I'm going off the board. I would go after Ludwig because personally, I think that he's got the most superstar potential. And I think at this point, there's a lot more upside in tying up Ludwig to this thing than, I don't know, a Jason Day. Yeah, I a lot of those names I don't think are generating a whole lot of viewership, to be frank. 
I think the best option is Bubba Watson, right? Or somebody who like curves the ball like crazy or something in these simulators. Uh It's not going to be him because of lift. It's not. But of the names you mentioned, Tony Finau feels like the biggest slam dunk. And he's kind of into some of the forward thinking stuff. He's a lot of little kids. Maybe just doesn't work for him. Wants to spend more time at home. Wouldn't shock me if that's what his response would be. Ludwig, sure. But I don't think a ton of 18-year-olds, 15-year-olds are tuning in to watch Ludwig Gobert. Maybe they are. I don't know who it's going to be. They need to go for somebody that's going to be fun on camera. That's going to give you something that doesn't feel contrived, cheap trash talk like a lot of these guys do. Somebody who's authentic and ideally somebody that's got a cool skill set. We don't need just somebody that hits stock. Like Russell Henley's not the right pick here. No. <laughs> no. Might be the right pick at the RSM Classic this week. Though. I mean, Joel Damon's a better pick, right? Like probably that, somebody yeah. from Netflix or something. Like that would be a better pick. Right. Well, <laughs> I was thinking about this when you said the idea of, and this can transition us to talking about the format a little bit, but because I I have so many thoughts on the fact that they're instituting timeouts, do these teams have GMs and coaches? Because there are, you get like four timeouts per match. So is it like a tiger is a player coach situation? Do these teams have captains like like what are these guys talking about who's the guy with the mic and the timeouts <laughs> what is the point of timeouts if you don't have a coach and i don't understand the thought process behind that my guess is anybody can call the timeout i don't know a lot of these logistics but i can run yeah. through them all i wrote them all. i wrote them all down no i know i know what they are i just don't know like yeah is there a captain or something that's a, another question i kind of have is like where do the players stand like seriously like if you're not playing where does everyone stand and what does that trash talk look like because that could become a disaster very quickly i we've seen it before whether it's on the match or other things when when golfers know they're on camera and they think they're being funny it's it's often not funny and there are some golfers who are good at it and some who are brutal like i i think justin thomas could have some really cringy moments with this kind of stuff and they gotta figure out a way to to reduce that so yeah, the timeouts, I, I bet any, but any golfer can call it would be my guess. And it'll most likely be if the golfer wants more time, then he'll just call it, right? And if you're trying to like ice the other player over a putt, then I, my guess is anybody on the opposing team can call it. But we'll see. The format... They probably hit a button. <laughs> probably, right? Like they probably hit a button and a big light goes off. That would be my guess. Yeah, I would, ima- I would imagine something of that elk, right? I'm just, because they have a referee too. Right, which is fun. Which is which is kind of cool, but yeah, absolutely. Because you know there's some specific rules that are being introduced, and the most encouraging part of that Wired article that that I was reading was the 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 idea, and I this is a true I'll believe it when I see it situation, but that the PGA Tour is watching something like this closely uh, and planning to hopefully take some things that work and don't work my biggest hope for that is that is the idea of a shot clock which i think many of us in the golf community have been calling for for years um players are going to have 40 seconds to hit a shot or they're going to be assessed a one-stroke penalty Uh, i mentioned the timeouts each team is going to have four timeouts per match two for the 3v3 segment i can talk about that once we get into the format and two for the singles portions and then like i mentioned there's going to be a designated ref to keep on top of all the action and uh 
it says in one of the articles I read, enforce traditional PGA Tour rules and the shot clock. So I guess the ref is kind of standing there. And I would hope too that they do, they make it fun. And if a player gets down to within 10 seconds, they do like a big flashing on the screen, you know, 10, 9, 8. Like I would get weird with all of that stuff. 100%. I think they should get as weird as possible with a lot of this. It was a little, yeah, we don't need, I don't want to digress, but the PGA Tour being like, oh, good idea, shot clock is crazy <laughs> because that, that is insulting how many people have called for them to just enforce pace of play. And now they're like, oh, what a good idea. But whatever, leave that <laughs> aside. Don't need to bash the PJ Tour too much on this. The, I, I'm very for the shot clock, and I think they should get crazy with it. It's, you- just, it's just like how Giannis, when Giannis struggles to shoot a free throw in a lot of time, the whole arena is chanting down like 10, 9. Like, you could get some stuff like that. It needs to get weird. How much have you thought about what they are calling modern match play where are you well versed on this format at all yeah i've I've been keeping up with it okay I'll, I'll read it off for the listeners so as you mentioned earlier these two teams are made up of three players basically so if you think of a four-man roster you're gonna have a bench guy that's just sitting out um again very curious as to like who makes the decisions on who's playing and who's not playing but the two teams that are made up of three players will each tee off in a 15-hole match. My understanding from the Wired article is that they experimented with an 18-hole match and they could not fit that into the two-hour television window. So which that, good. which is good, yeah, I like that. I like that idea as well. Keep it tight. That includes nine holes of what they are calling triples, which is three v three alternate shot, which is fascinating. I have never seen before in any format of golf, um, whether it be my local member guest or, or anything that we've seen in team formats in the professional level, and then six holes of singles head to head play. So each player plays two holes one-on-one against the team. So like say for Boston common, you know, they play their, uh, they play their nine holes of triples. And then for the final six holes of the match, it is like Rory is going to play 10 and 13 versus JT and Keegan is going to play 11 and 14 versus Cantlay and so on and so forth. And then the team with the fewest shots to complete a hole earns their team one point. If the team ties at zero points, teams with the, you know, that's how you win the fifth teams with the most points out of 15 wins. The match is tied after 15 holes. The match will be settled with a three V three closest to the pin challenge. Um, again, like, I feel like the question after I read off this stuff is like, does any of this stuff matter in the grand scheme of things? But how in our, are you on this? I guess we I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and call this innovative, uh, on this, this new and innovative format. Yeah. I don't love the format at first glance. Uh, Roberto Castro is apparently doing this and I know he's, he's a smart guy and he's pretty plugged into the golf media space. I would just hope that they're nimble on this kind of thing. And if it's not super captivating, they just change it. And that's hopefully the benefit of a startup like this, that they can just move things around, see what works, what doesn't work. If it doesn't work week one, they can move it for week two. It's not compromising the integrity of the season by changing the format like that. It doesn't really matter. So I'm a little bit... I don't want to answer your last question first. I kind of think TGL has a lot of potential. I think it's really cool. This format... Not necessarily, and I don't even know how much it matters. 
you need people to care about the shots these golfers are hitting. That's uh-huh. the goal. And I think there are some ways in which these shots could be really cool. I don't know if the format's going to do it. And having Tiger Woods, like if he's in the 3v3 alternate shot, he's not hitting very many shots, no. right? Like he's hitting on hole one. He's hitting once per hole, basically, which maybe is cool. Maybe that is cool that no matter if it's part of three, four or five, most likely every golfer is hitting one shot. I mean, obviously, whoever tees off is probably hitting two on a lot of those. But I think a big piece of this that and I actually this is a year ago, but I met with one of the TGL guys that was conceiving of this, Uh, not one of like the top guys, but I think one of the people that was fronting some of their media and marketing stuff, I think he found me on uh, Twitter via my gambling stuff. Um, And he reached out to me about the gambling aspect that TGL was hoping to employ. We had a meeting. We had like a 20 minute Zoom meeting. I never heard from him again. So I, I I have no idea what the gambling, how committed they are to gambling with this. But I would imagine that part of this format um, is going to potentially try to capitalize on a gambling aspect of this, right? Like if you could, ESPN signs this major deal with a sports book, right? Or or they, they're launching ESPN bet. And the guy told me like, Hey, we're we're going to try and really lean into the gambling side of this with all the, I mean, gaming just got legalized in Florida. I mean, this week, right? So I would imagine if they're smart, again, this is another opportunity that I think Liv missed out on is like, Hey, let's really try and lean into the degenerate gamblers here. And and the fact that these billions of dollars are being wagered on sports gaming now in all of these states across America. That would be my hope is that this format is conducive to like people being able to bet on every hole. And I don't know if a partnership has been announced with a sports, but I would imagine that's coming. I would imagine the natural fit there is the ESPN bet, but I would hope that they're showing live odds on the screen because I think that was a missed opportunity with Liv. I think with the Liv fan base that they were trying to cater to, Liv should have leaned way harder into gambling. And maybe it was because they weren't able to find a partnership with a sports book that wanted to do that with them. But I would say I think it is a missed opportunity for TGL if they do not attempt based on the format that they have to leave he- lean heavily into the gaming aspect of this. Totally. I-, I wanted to talk about this, so I'm glad we can spend some time here. Yeah. They have to lean into the gambling part, and I'm sure they are. Yeah. The one Essential. huge advantage... This has a lot of advantages over traditional outdoor golf. I don't even like to call it outdoor golf. Things <laughs> That's just golf. <laughs> but one of those things that you don't see every shot somebody hits on the PGA Tour, right? But you do have shot tracker, which is extremely important. And it's on a lag. It's on like a minute or two lag from when the shot was actually hit. But this format gives you the opportunity to see every shot that's hit and get live data right back. And the technology is going to be able to give you unbelievable live data, all types of spin rate type stuff. There should be this this product is so technologically focused that there should be a ton of cool data that's coming back real time. And you're seeing all of it. That's a huge opportunity. I actually do think that's a big reason that Liv... One thing Liv 
missed on not just some of the gambling stuff and ensuring the competitive integrity of some of those events, but just not having a shot tracker, I think it's a really big deal. Yeah. I, I think fans have come to expect it, whether you're a gambler or not. Following a golf tournament now, my expectation is I can see every shot that's hit, whether I can actually watch them swing or just see the trot trails. I expect to see that. So I think with TGL, that is one unique advantage they have. But my question is to you would be, would you bet on this? Because what what are you betting on? What, what are they offering? Just this team's going to beat this team. I get that. I think some people will bet on that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be betting on the singles. The, the golfers are playing two holes each. Are you going to take Tiger Woods to beat Rory McIlroy like, with a, when there's some juice and it's two holes in a simulator like what what do the bets actually look like and who's betting that are you would you andy lack bet on some of this stuff on the tgl i don't see it probably not because i i'm the wrong person to ask because i i I don't bet i don't bet anything unless i'm able to create a model for it (laughs) so (laughs) i have no idea how i would attempt to do that i would need to listen i i will say this i will bet anything that i legitimately believe i have an edge on and if there's a universe where i watch a couple of these tgl matches and I feel like I have a legitimate edge where the market isn't understanding how to price these things, or there's enough data where I could formulate some form of model and I'm able to that's why the 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 questions that you know people asking me why I'd never bet the web events is like I don't believe I have an edge there. I don't understand motivation and I don't have data. Uh, but that's my and, point. Sorry, not to interrupt yeah. you, but that's kind of my point. It doesn't feel like this format is the most conducive to finding some of those edges when there's so golfers are taking so few swings. But I do think the future and and this again that's why I initially said I may be the wrong person to ask for this because I am so traditional and regimented and data driven and model driven in the way that I bet, but I do think that the future of betting is live betting, right? Like I do think that there are a lot of people that love watching sports games and love being able to bet now isn't that like where the technology is going like i haven't been to this new vegas stadium but i remember reading articles about how you know in the new vegas stadium their plans are is that you sit at your seat and there's kiosks and you can bet on you know a field goal real time as it's happening you can bet on a first down real time as it's happening with the diminishing attention span of the next generation and the generation that we are in right now. Like I do think that there's a market for people that just like to sit at their fucking computer watching a television screen and just be able to click buttons as fast as they can. I, I don't disagree. The like NFL, I I, I can't really bet golf because what I do, but the I bet like pretty much every sport and mm-hmm. live betting is mostly what I do. That's my favorite way to bet. Yeah. I just don't know if this particular format is the most conducive to that. If it, if this were more skills challenging and closest to the pin type stuff, like some of that long drive, which I'm sure they'll do, I get there's going to be stuff to bet on, but I don't know if it's the most bettable format. They're going to lean into it. They should. I think that's a, a unique opportunity. So I'm pretty bullish on that part of it. I just don't know about you got to make people care about this thing week in and week out. And so I, I don't know how you start to build, like, do you start to care about teams or are they just building this whole model on people getting hooked on watching shot after shot and like betting on it? I'm trying to figure out who is watching this thing. Like 
that that's the part I'm trying to figure out. The well, format doesn't seem like it's the technology part's really cool, and I, I hope we can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, but the format, the team element of it, like, is this team going to beat this team, and would you bet on that? I'm having a little trouble seeing some of those uh, narratives taking hold. Well, on the technology piece, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I really hope they do. And you've already alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but I think they have a lot of room here to do something really fun with golf course design. I would really hope that they make the most of not having to deal with the geographic constraints of being on an actual outdoor golf course. I know they've hired some external architects on this. In my opinion, this was another big miss by Liv, not giving the golf courses on Liv a distinctive personality, which would have been a massive way to separate yourself from the PGA Tour, which I think has a big personality and fun problem when it comes to the banality and uniformity of their golf courses. So I really hope that they think outside the box here. And like you mentioned, Boston Commons home golf course should look like Brookline and it should have large rock outcroppings and chocolate drop mounds and make you feel like you're in New England. And then San Francisco team golf course should have big Monterey pines and overhanging tree limbs and look like the Olympic club and Cal club and have a Marine layer and thicker air and make you feel like you're in Northern California, which is a distinctive setting to play golf in, especially versus the Northeast. So, you know, if they do not really use the technology to create a sense of place and think outside the box with the golf courses, that is a massive missed opportunity to me as well, because I think that is one of the things where it's like, okay, you have this technology going back to our regional conversation. It's like, use it, man. So this might sound crazy, but this is some of the stuff I'm most excited to talk about. I think these golf courses, we need to, it shouldn't even be thought of as traditional golf. Like I think there should be rings in the air. And if you hit it through (laughs) one of them, you get a point. And like, I think there should be trampolines on half of the fairway. And if you land on it, it bounces forward. I, I, I'm not kidding. I, no, I agree. Think, Have you heard of the scorpion? The, the, uh, scorpion the hole that they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think it should be nuts. I, and I, and I really do genuinely believe that like there yeah. should be backboards that are Joseph. That's what I thought live should have been. That's what I was calling live to be. I know. You, I think you <laughs> tweeted something about they should go to tobacco road. Like I totally yeah. agree that that, yeah. that is what I actually do genuinely believe deep down. That this is what they should do is have nuts courses. If they're playing and it's like, oh, there's a center line bunker. That's not going far enough. I want to see the technology cranked all the way up and you see tiger trying to curve it through like some kind of obstacle and then use these artificial backboards and stuff and if you miss it you're dead like to me that's actually what this should look like i couldn't agree more Um, mario pipes like in mario golf like where you hit it in and it's a lot of risk but it'll pop you out by the green like i I think they should do that you know that'd be sweet i yeah i i think that architect architects uh you know massively underrate the skill level of professional golfers and what actually challenges modern professional golfers with the challenges that i mean with the way that technology is today i think this is like a massive opportunity 
to create strategic architecture on absolute steroids. That would not make sense on a real golf course. These should be holes. Every single hole should have some form of risk reward option. These should be holes that are not suitable for amateur golfers. These should be holes that every architect imagines in their dreams, but is too afraid to execute on an actual golf course because of the blowback they will receive. I, I think if they do not create golf holes, that's a that's a way to get people talking is like, hey, did you see, like you mentioned, did you see Tiger Woods have to attempt that shot where he had to hit it between this giant elephant that was walking across the fairway onto a perch raised Dude, up yes. green? Like that, yes. that's, yeah, I think, I, I think you're onto something there. God, I hope, th- although I guess, I'll I'll play devil's advocate. Do you think that because I think when you do a league like this, you can't make decisions scared. Do you think that the narrative of Liv being largely non-serious maybe prevents them from making this too much of clown golf? No. I don't think you should be thinking about Liv at all. This is not a comparison to Liv. I don't right. like a lot of the comparisons between Liv and TGL. This is a technology product. And, and a what TV I'm show. Yeah. Right. What I'm already thinking about is like, imagine when VR headsets get really good and somebody watches this with a VR headset and it sounds like Tiger Woods is talking in your ear. That's going to be insane. Think yeah. about how cool that's going to be. And maybe as the viewer, you can walk down the fairway and look back at the tee and watch that shot like from home. That, 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 this is a technology product. And so thinking about the courses being these unbelievable technological creations that look nothing like a regular golf course. That's the route I would go. I know it sounds crazy, but you can do that. You can create whatever kind of wind patterns you want. There's so much you can do. They should make these holes nuts. And I think you hit on it. That is the most crucial aspect, in my opinion, of whether this thing is going to work or not, is if it's in on the joke. If this thing knows what it is. Or it's not necessarily a joke. In on... I guess what's the word then? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, in on if it if it knows what it is, if it's not trying to be something that it's not, and I think that's why, like one of the bigger missteps that they've had so far was that Colin Markala video. Oh my god, so bad. Which totally let our boy Taylor Gooch off the hook, right? And it's just like, and I think that's when a lot of people started saying, "Well, now you're starting to do something that made so many people despise Lev." Right. Where you try and make this something that nobody believes that it is. And I think that's going to be one of TGL's biggest obstacles. And I I don't know how optimistic I am that they execute on that based on what we've already seen with the self-serious nature of the Morikawa video and some of the Boston Common press conferences and things of that nature. But I think this thing falls into its most I think this falls thing falls into its biggest trap if people signals start to go off of, oh, this is trying to be way more self-serious than what I am looking for right now. Totally, totally. I, the Colin Morikawa video is downright embarrassing. That should never have come out. Like That, that was terrible. <laughs> really, it is. And that, that undermines this entire effort. It needs to be exactly what it is. But I, I think the part that... And to, to keep pulling on the thread of this is a technology product and the holes need to be nuts, Like I'm not sure... I think you and I are of similar age and understand like how online the world is and only getting more online. And like high schoolers are on screens all day. I I think a huge part of 
Like you either realize that that's happening and you build for it or you don't. The influencer marketing part of this, I think is huge. The fact that they have all these owners, Steph Curry, Serena Williams, when an event's happening, all these people are going to post on their Instagrams. They're going to post across their social media channels about the event. They're going to tweet videos from it. That's a huge opportunity. There's a ton of built-in viewership from that model. And that's where that's where I think this thing has a lot of potential is leaning into this is an online product and it's totally different than traditional golf. Like that's why I'm optimistic and the stuff about the regionality of the teams. Like I almost don't really care about that. If I'm watching Tiger Woods hit a golf ball and the camera angle it takes me on is I get to fly with the golf ball and watch it through the air and see how it's spinning. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Tiger Woods golf ball. Yeah. And that's why it should be, I think they should like, for example, live created, live paid a bunch of people to, you know, tweet things. Right. And they did, did a lot of their marketing on X. If I'm the TGL, I'm, I'm going all in on TikTok. I think that this is this league, it's format, you know, the potential fan base of it, the cool technology aspect of it. I think is made if we're talking any social media for it. I think the most natural fit there is TikTok. I think you're doing them all. Yeah, you're doing them all for sure. But I'm investing a lot of my resources into TikTok. What yeah. what is there to? I mean, you can tweet videos and stuff like that too. But there's there's no discourse that is going to come of this league, right? There's no like self serious discourse. It's all going to be. I think that's yeah, well. Well, exactly. That's my point. It's it's all going to be media. Right. It's all going right. to be video media. There's not going to be conversation pieces on this. Right. Uh, that's a good point. I don't know if they're going to be conversation pieces on it. That, that's a good point. Well, like one question I had for you is like, what are the things about outdoor golf? This, this question just feels disgusting to type or say, but like, what are the things about outdoor golf <laughs> that we're going to miss in indoor golf? And I'm sure there's some people who are like, Oh my gosh, so many things like the natural elements, all that. But seriously, like r- what are the things that make big viral moments that really heighten your attention in outdoor golf that we're actually not going to have in the simulator golf, like rules disputes. That might be something I'm just trying to think of the elements of the PGA tour product that we'll be missing from this because i honestly think the simulator golf has most of it covered i history i would contend with right like when some initially yeah like when somebody's stepping up to the tee on six at bay hill they can bring back a clip of bryson you know <laughs> driving the green or you know when somebody's stepping on to the tee on 18 at bay. i don't know why bay hill is the, the historical event that's coming into mind here but they can show the the tiger putt at, at bay hill or you know 17 on sawgrass they can they can bring up the tiger putt there so i think with the tgl yeah. you're maybe potentially losing or you're gonna have to manufacture some indelible moments um that are kind of pasted in in people's minds from these golf courses like i do think people have a relationship to TPC Sawgrass based on watching that course year after year. And I think that's a little bit of the give and take of creating these new kind of crazy wild simulator holes is that you lose. But again, then I guess maybe then that that's a good question to ask you as well is like, we say that we want to get super wild with these golf holes. Do you think there's an argument to maybe try and have some of these courses be a hodgepodge of 
holes that we actually know and have relationships to, or should we think outside the box and do something new? I'm with you. I I think the former, not the latter, but I do think there's an argument for both. You might, you might be able to mix it up. That might be the right way to go. But I think there absolutely should be holes that are nuts. And when people get to them, they're like, that hole's right around the corner, almost like tenant Riviera, which isn't nuts, but it's different and quirky. And you know, like when the golfer walks off the ninth green, they're about to hit number 10. If there's an elephant hole where an elephant's walking across the fairway, like people will start to come to expect that, which is crazy to say out loud, but I actually think there's a ton of potential there. And the, the other question now that I, <laughs> as we're talking that that was kind of coming in my head, we say like TPC Sawgrass and people have this relationship to TPC Sawgrass. The vast majority of people will never set foot on TPC Sawgrass and will only experience it through a screen. Right. And that's a public course. I mean, don't even get started on the places that we go to US Opens for. (laughs) Sure, sure. So, and maybe this question is just like a little scary to, to consider with like AI and stuff, but how different is simulator golf for 95% of people who experience outdoor golf through a screen or they're going to experience the simulator golf through a screen? Won't they build those same kind of connections to courses like people have for TPC Sawgrass? What's the difference to them? Uh, Probably putting my cynical hat on. Like, I think I kind of have to agree with you. Um, You know, walking golf courses and and being outside in nature, I think is like a, a very strong connective tissue here for a reason why a lot of people play golf. And I don't know if that's a strong connective tissue for why people attend golf events. Like, I don't know how many people, for example, when I attend a golf event, um, and we'll be at Riviera together in a couple months, but I'll ask you, what's your favorite way to attend a golf event? Is it to sit in a grandstand for six hours or is it to follow a group? For me, it's to follow a group and see as much of the course as possible, but I actually, I'm not sure that that is the future. Like I think about what I saw at LACC this year with the corporate model of all these tents and the corporate hospitality, and they're going to do the same thing at Pinehurst. Like I actually don't think that, I think people like me that love getting 15,000 steps in a day and seeing every single aspect of a golf course. Like I would imagine that I'm in the strong minority of how people like to consume a golf tournament if they're going in person. Yeah. And you're still going to have that option. Like we're not talking about the PGA tour changing into TGL Mm -hmm. though. I do think there's a potential that TGL will get really popular and maybe I'm just going to look stupid and it's all going to fold in in three months from the time it starts. But People will have the option to go experience nature if you want. And on Tuesday nights and Monday nights, it's this on-screen thing that you experience in a very similar way to how you experience most tournaments that you're watching on TV. It's how 12 to 18-year-olds are watching, consuming all of their information and then posting clips online. Like As gross and dystopian as it sounds, like it's kind of not that different from reality. I think you're probably right. So how do we define then what success looks like for this? Because this is such a complicated and nuanced question. Like if you think about the question of has live been a success from a fan interest, TV ratings, engagement, profitability standpoint, unequivocally, no. Otherwise, yes. (laughs) but, but, But in terms of allowing the Saudis 
to create enough leverage to dramatically change the landscape of professional golf. I think you could also argue that it did accomplish its task in many ways. So what would be a success for the TGL? Is it bringing more eyeballs to PGA Tour tournaments? Is that the goal? Is it raising the superstar status of Justin Thomas in Atlanta? Is that the goal? Or is it just simply to line the pockets of its stars and investors? Like, How do we actually quantify whether this thing is is working or not. And that's what I think is so interesting because again, like I bring up Liv and <laughs> you ask people if Liv works and you get like a million different answers. And that's why I'm so fascinated to see what the discourse is around TGL and those first couple of weeks of how we actually quantify whether this thing is working. Is it is it good TV ratings? Like we mentioned that this is basically just a TV show. Like is that is that kind of what we're shooting for? Yeah, I'm no media executive, but I my thoughts on this are pretty clear, at least in my head. And for any of these things, success is creating something people want to watch. And that's it. That is it. Creating something special that people want to watch. And that if it's on and they have some kind of family obligation or something, so they miss it, they're disappointed that they didn't get to see what happened. They actually want to tune in. And I I have concerns about professional golf in general right now that even if things merge or whatever, it's not technically a merger, whatever word you want to use, if we get all the players back in the same spot, we still haven't solved the problem of like, do people actually want to watch this? Because the fan base is not any, is not getting younger. They've brought some new fans in, but you eventually have to create something that week in and week out large numbers of people want to watch. So for me, that's the success metric, whether it's TGL, PJ Tour, Live, there need to be eyeballs on it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think about like, should we just view this on pure TV ratings, right? And then I think about something like Succession, which did not do amazing numbers for HBO but became such a part of the cultural lexicon with the memes, but is never, never did numbers close to young Sheldon, right. Or something like that. So I wonder if with TGL, is it like, is this the type of thing that you'll be able to tell if people care about it, right? Like you could, you could tell based on your conversations with friends and going to restaurants and what you see every time you log into Twitter after side an episode airs, like you could tell that succession had hit on some point, some part of the culture. Right. But it didn't do amazing ratings. And then you have, again, like all these shows on networks that millions of more people are watching, but they don't really have a place in the culture in the same way. And I'm, I'm just very curious as how, how, as to how TGL, falls into that mix i just think with succession yeah i guess if i'm clarifying that i think eyeballs need to be on it i stand by that but i think it just Mm -hmm. the extent to which it's part of the public consciousness like right succession was also a big part of social media conversation and for me that's an indication that exactly people care about it and so i think cgl is going to be the same way you can make all these funnel arguments like no it's successful if it gets more people to watch the pga tour or puts more callaway clubs in people's hands but in my opinion, it all starts with people wanting to watch it. And then a lot of value is created from their sponsorships in those events to put a label on a logo on somebody's hat goes way up. Like I think it all starts with people wanting to watch the product. 
I hit everything in my notes. Do you have any other questions you want to you want to raise that we didn't mention? No, not really. Only other notes I guess I have is that we always clamor for things that are new. This is legitimately new and yeah. that's something to be excited about. I think the ability to control the weather is really cool and that you don't have to worry about an event you're looking forward to being soft and not playing as firm and fast. Like I'm all, all in, that's within I'm their all control. I'm all in on digital wind. <laughs> 100%. I, I am too. Um, it's on prime time. Can control for that. And the only other note I think I have is what do you think the chances are that these events can be bigger than PGA Tour events? And, I, and I'm, I'm actually serious about that. Kind of high, honestly. I, like I, I think that if you can guarantee, and I have no idea, I have so many questions about how they're going to continue to roll this out. Like, for example, are we going to find out a day before, a week before, as soon as it goes live, what three players are playing? Right. But for example, if you can guarantee that Tiger Woods is going to be hitting, I don't know, bare minimum eight golf shots in a two hour window, and you can market to that a couple of days before, I think that's a massive feather in your cap. Right. But I do think like there are, you know, it's interesting because I actually think that the January to master stretch on the PGA tour is kind of my favorite. It's kind of my favorite stretch of the PGA tour season. I think it has the highest amount of tournaments that I actually really like and get excited for and get up for, which kind of makes a whole interesting counterpoint of a potential other discussion of like when this is being launched and, you know, is a better time for this in the stretch where we get the John Deere classic and the three M open. But um, I don't think so, actually. Yeah, I think January is good because I think what they're doing is there's always a malaise right after football, right? There's always a little bit, of, little bit of a football hangover. And they're saying, hey, the second that football ends, we are going to give you something completely new on Monday nights. And what they're doing, like when you watch a big UFC fight, they start previewing the next big card, right? Where, hey, if you enjoyed this, like... Israel Adesanya is fighting Alex Pereira two weeks from now. I think what this will kind of do is, hey, on Tuesday night, as these golfers are playing, they can be previewing the Phoenix Open a little bit and talking about why they're excited to tee it up there in two days and kind of cross-promoting. And that probably, that you could sell me on that being more valuable than trying to generate this contrived interest in June. So I I maybe kind of like the timing. Okay. Uh, So you went to Mayor Solo Tour last week, right? I did. What'd you think? I went on Friday. Huge fan. That was my fifth time seeing him. I'm a big John Mayer fan. I've seen Me him a as bunch well. of times. Massive. Yeah. One of my favorite times I've seen him probably definitely stands out for me. What'd you think? I liked it. It was my first time seeing him do a concert like that. Like I had gone to Sobrock and I'm used to him playing with a band. And I thought there was something a lot more intimate about him just being on a stage alone like that, the crowd didn't really seem to get into it as much as I've seen in previous mayor concerts. But I think that was more of like a testament of the style of the show and how much of it was acoustic. But I think that watching that show was probably the most that I have been able to admire his talent. I think that there was something about watching him up there alone that let 
it was it was the time where I said to myself the most times during a John Mayer show because I'm like you, I'm a massive fan. I think I've been four, not five times, but watching that had the most wow moments for me in terms of some of the guitar solos, just like the pure audaciousness of 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 basically standing up there alone for two hours completely by yourself. Did he take a lot of song requests for you too? Just a little part, maybe a five minutes. Yeah, he, it was. So I went to the last show of his entire tour. So maybe he was letting a little bit looser on this one, but he like freewheeled a lot of it, which I was in such awe of, of his talent watching him in, in that context, right? Like I'm used to seeing him with a band, John Mayer trio, more of a bit brick production. There's something crazy about and wild about watching somebody utilize like four different guitars in a single show, then going to piano, then going back to acoustic and all just doing it out there completely by yourself on your own. Yeah. I was like transfixed by the entire performance. (laughs) And one of my sisters went in in New York at Madison square garden. And she, she's a John Mayer fan, but doesn't know his music. Like doesn't know the entire every album. And she she was like, yeah, it was really good. And then a few days later, she was like, I'm still thinking about it. Like, it, it didn't necessarily hit for her that hard that night, but then yeah. was thinking about it for days after. And that's kind of how it hit hard for me that night. But I, it's kind of seared into my brain in a way that I go to a decent number of concerts and this one will stand out. Well, you're going to Doja Cat tonight. I need the story behind that as well. <laughs> I'm a big Doja Cat fan. I, the through line, I guess, with our conversation from, now she's very online and I think she's extremely talented and knows exactly what she's doing. Extremely good at marketing herself. And I'm a big fan. So yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I'm, I think it tips off tea times in about two and a half hours. Okay. Well, I'll let you go prepare for that. My friend, this was a blast. <laughs> Anything you want to plug uh, before we get out of here? Any fried egg stuff, any newsletter stuff? I'm good. I've started to draft one about TGL that, I may put out sometimes I write these and I never put them out. So we'll see. There might be a, a finding the edge substack about TGL over the next couple of days. TBD. All right, cool, buddy. We will um we will obviously do this again soon. Um and enjoy the concert tonight, my man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is fun. It's gonna be fun to see how TGL unfolds and have more conversations when that happens. Maybe right. do you think we're gonna look dumb? Is there a chance that all of this excitement, it's like really bad? I think that there is undeniably going to be a number of cringe moments. There's going to be social media fodder that people make fun of, especially with the trash talk stuff. Like I I especially think that has the highest percentage chance to go remarkably wrong, but I think it will have its high points too. And like I said, it's like, Hey, like even if people make fun of this thing, it's kind of a victory if people are talking about it, right? Like that again, that is accomplishing something that I think other breakaway weaves failed at in the past is like, let's just get visibility. Let's just get the visibility thing down first. And then we can worry about whether it makes sense or not later. I agree. It's gonna be fun. All right, buddy. Talk soon, my man. Thanks. It's fun. All right, that is it for the podcast. We will be back next week doing something. I'm not sure what yet. Something fun though. Uh, But until then, best of luck with your bats this weekend and we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream 
Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead shed the back